0: Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Nick DeSabado. Nick, do you want to say hi? Hey
1: there. Happy to be here.
0: Awesome. Do you want to just give everybody a quick introduction to who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, I am a interaction designer from Chicago. I run a consultancy called Draft. We help do research-driven A-B testing for uh, online stores so they can increase their conversion rate without increasing their ad spend.
0: Awesome. And we had you on the show to talk about A-B testing on JavaScript Jabber. That's right. And so uh, it, it was a little bit different because usually we're talking about like some deep inner workings of JavaScript or a library. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it was more around... Uh, the UI and how to think about specific problems that kind of have more to do with marketing than technology.
1: Yeah, that's right. Kind of how to use JavaScript as a tool around that.
0: Yep. So uh, I I think it'll be interesting just to dig in. I like getting people from different backgrounds, and since your focus is as much around the business problems as it is around the technology solutions, Mm -hmm. it'll be really fun to just see where this goes. Awesome. So just to start out before I ask you about how you got into programming, um, how much programming do you wind up doing day to day?
1: Uh, I would say like three or four hours a week of actual, I am sitting down at the computer programming time. Like I do a lot Uh of research, a lot of talking to customers, a lot of design insight, a lot of writing. Um, the vast majority of my job is writing at this point, mostly because I'm Acting in a consultative manner, so I have to write reports and lessons and all sorts of stuff. So, um, but the actual programming bit is—that's um, like the implementation side of things. And sometimes I'm coordinating with other developers. Sometimes I'm putting their work into practice on the A/B testing framework side of things. So it depends. Uh
0: huh. Yeah. That's interesting, and it's—it's it's funny too because a lot of people are probably going, "Well, so he doesn't really do a lot of programming, but." Um, in the programming world, those conversations that you're talking about that eventually get translated into high programmer, full-time programmer, I need you to get all of these things done. Right. Um, you know, you, you wind up collecting a whole bunch of information, which is relevant to what we're doing, but ultimately then you can boil it down to, I need the solution.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so.
0: Um, you know, and- I, I can understand the basics of the why and... The rest of it is just, yeah. This is what I need.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like there's, um, it's very helpful for me to stay on top of programming-ish related activities, so that when I am put in front of a programmer, I'm able to not sound like a weirdo space alien. Like that Uh is, I am very good at interacting with programmers of basically any stripe or provenance, and uh, making sure that things can get shipped. And that is, I. I think a rare breed of designer. It's just what I've been doing for years, so it's mm-hmm. it feels okay for me. Yeah,
0: right. I think it's a learned skill. I think yeah. some people have developed it better than other people. Yeah. And uh, man, when you work with somebody who's good at it, you know it. Oh yeah. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> and it feels good, right? Like you've never like, oh yeah. gosh, that sucks that I found this guy who can speak my language. Like who's nobody says that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Exactly.
1: Right. Right. So
0: so let's uh, let's dig into this interview a little bit. Um, what, what was your first introduction to programming?
1: Um, probably Logo. To be honest, like if you're talking like way back, like oh yeah, I was probably four or five years old and mm-hmm. making a little turtle go around a screen. I think that's still strictly scripting or like a command line, but there are like. There are for loops and if loops on that. So there, That's you learn the very basics of it. And, and I've been you know involved with computers for my whole life. So I think that's, that's probably the beginning of it. I don't think it was called programming. I think it was just called Logo. And I just went through yeah. and did it. But in hindsight, that was my first exposure to it.
0: I'll count that. I mean, I, th- I remember doing it in what? Like second grade or something? Yeah. And yeah, you know, they were teaching us math concepts and geometric concepts with it.
1: Absolutely. Um yeah, and I think that was probably the the very beginning for me. And then after that I did um we learned Q basic on an Apple 2GS in grade school in like second or third grade, something like that. It was early. So it was around there was probably a gap there. Um and that was that was the first time I was like programming in earnest where I had something approaching an IDE and I was just making like Dumb text apps. I mean, you had to put the number of the line at the beginning of every line of the program. <laughs> that kind right.
0: That thing. Yeah. So, so uh, how did that get you to where you are now? I mean, how did you get into doing what you do today?
1: Um, well, uh, being involved in computers for my whole life. I mean, I went into math in undergrad and decided I didn't want to be a mathematician and that I could also Mm -hmm. do computers reasonably well. And I cared about their layout and behavior and the way that they they play on our expectations, the way that they shape our lives. Um, And so having that programmatic fluency... Has always helped me level up as a designer, right? Because I fundamentally identify as a designer. I'm definitely in that, Mm -hmm. not like anybody that's on this podcast or most of the people. And, uh, but I think that every single time I've been called upon to like be a better designer, it's in terms of getting it shipped and getting it QA'd well. And I've been, I can't tell you how many times I've been called back onto projects at like agencies in past lives and asked to QA uh, an application to make sure that it not only fulfills the letter of the wireframes, but also that I'm like kicking it in the teeth and making sure it's not gonna break. Um, uh-huh. like, I think more of a traditional QA role. Um, so I think there's there's a lot there that like programming turned me onto computers in the first place, turned me onto the fact that they can be designed in some capacity, and then when I became a designer, it helped me become a better designer like it was always there right it was always because it was the first thing it was always present so yeah
0: so let's step back a little bit then i mean you're you're talking about design and being a designer Uh, where are the seeds for that i mean were you an uh, an art person as a younger person or was it more of just you know what, computers are cool, but I'm don't. You know, i not so interested in this aspect or more that aspect? Or how did that come about?
1: Yeah, I never really went to art school. Like, that's the, I, something that probably separates me from other designers. And, like, the thing that I mostly do as designer is the layout and behavior and IA of the app, which is, like, the uh-huh. least pretty form of design. It's figuring out how it works, which is important, probably the most important. Um, but it's not... And I, I can have a good eye for like good art direction and good typography and that sort of thing. But it's not, mm-hmm. it's not really the thing you think of when you think about like graphic design. Uh, from right. graduate school, I went for human computer interaction, which is basically like a combination of UX design and cognitive science. Um, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and it had more to do with like psychology of it. And so that's basically the, the, Predominance of my background there. Um, I've always considered myself a creative person, but maybe not a visually creative person. Does that make sense?
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I think that's that's kind of it for the background there.
0: That that's really interesting. So, so yeah. So uh, I, I'm curious. Like, how do you describe then the gap that you fill between programmer, let's say, and the more um visual aesthetic design kind of designer
1: um so that's sort of what i do for a living right like having an interaction design background i'm i'm the guy who like makes the sitemap and the wireframes and mm-hmm. and the wireframes come with if they're done right they come with very comprehensive annotations about like various stated behaviors on the application and fundamentally that's writing right right I spend uh, when I'm doing wireframes, it's about 20% doing the wireframe, like pushing UI elements around on a white screen. And then uh-huh. 80% writing about that and checking my thinking, right? It's saying, okay, well, here's, here's how the thing looks. And now here, can I actually explain this in plain English to someone? And at that Mm -hmm. point, I'm not even necessarily thinking a programmer. I'm thinking, am I covering all of my logical bases to like a layperson? Because not only is the programmer going to be looking at it and thinking about it in terms of the critique, but I usually have like a CEO on the line or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it has to speak to both of those roles. So it has to be exceptionally well written. Um, And I know I've done my job well when a CEO is like, well, I don't have any questions. This is great. You know, like... Mm -hmm. And that's happened yep. like once or twice ever, but you know, <laughs> it's a thing to aspire to yep um so yeah that's um I think there's the the easy and lazy answer to your question is that basically just verbal communication is the thing that links design and development, right? Uh Talking about how a thing behaves, what happens when you click on it, maybe what color it turns, maybe where it takes you next, maybe where it animates or moves to. And, And you have to make sure you've covered all of your bases on that front.
0: Right. That makes sense. So this is a JavaScript podcast. We're typically talking about web development, but... It sounds like what you do could be applied to web development, mobile development, yeah. um, desktop development. Um, where, where do you wind up spending most of your time?
1: Um, I spend most of my time working on, usually like these days, like the front-facing pages for like a marketing site or for a shopping mm-hmm. cart or something like that, which okay. have to be developed, right? Um, I used to, and it's slowly faded over time, be the guy who made like a full blown wireframe deck for a web application where I'm like creating new software where there wasn't any before or updating old software that had, um, fallen out of like functional favor, updated it for mobile or something like that. Um, the techniques and principles are fundamentally the same between what I do now and what I've been doing. I don't feel like I have to, I'm doing anything radically different. It's just, for a different service for a different type of client. Does that make sense? Right. Uh
0: Uh-huh. So uh, this being a JavaScript uh, podcast then, um, how much JavaScript do you have to know and how did you get into that? Like how did you pick it up?
1: Uh, I picked it up mostly because, uh, well, there were a couple of places. The smallest being like um, actually my checkout system I built connected to Stripe, and so I had to learn a little bit of JavaScript to do Mm -hmm. like form validation, that sort of stuff, which is very basic stuff. Um, As I changed my career to be more in the service of research-driven A-B testing, every A-B testing framework that I know of uses JavaScript to rewrite a page before it goes out Mm -hmm. to the customer. And so if you don't know how to use JavaScript and you're trying to run an A-B testing framework, you're not going to get very far. Uh, so I did it because I ended up not getting very far and needing to go farther with it. And so there was a lot of time googling Stack Overflow to figure out how to make this right thing. Um, and I got into it that way, I think.
0: That makes sense. The ecosystem though around JavaScript can get pretty complicated. Yeah. So you know wh- where do you find are the the bottlenecks or the challenges? That you run into as you're learning JavaScript or picking up some of these things that you have to know to make these work.
1: What framework your app is on this week, basically. Like
0: <laughs> now you sound like a JavaScript developer.
1: Right. But sometimes you'll have like a SaaS business and they want to run A B test in uh-huh. their marketing funnel and they'll be like, How about we make it an Angular app? And I'm like, okay, cool. Well, why are you doing that? And they're like, well, the rest of the app is an Angular app. I'm like, okay, um, fine how does VWO play with this whole thing, right? Like, what happens if you upgrade the version of Angular and everything is different now? Like, uh-huh. there's a lot of considerations that have to be happening there. And so I end up, like, sort of reverse engineering and pouring through a lot of documentation for this specific client in their specific context. Right. I, you, I think this is a common thread among all JavaScript developers. I'm not going to say anything new, but you relearn the whole thing every time you're doing that. You're not really writing JavaScript. You're writing Angular-ish JavaScript. Like, if I could just write Mm -hmm. vanilla JavaScript all the time and be done with it, that would be cool. But, you know, that's never the case, and it would be insane. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, too. I mean... Um, and I've heard some people lament the fact that, yeah, you don't actually write JavaScript anymore. You write Angular or React or whatever it is that it's written in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, some people run into problems because they don't understand the fundamentals of the language. And, uh, you know, they just get beyond what the framework easily provides. And so, it, it, yeah, it gets kind of ugly kind of fast in yeah, some of those yeah. instances.
1: It sucks from a design standpoint, right? Like you have... Um I, I don't have the time or energy or, frankly, desire to learn an entirely new stack for this one client, right? Uh-huh. Like, that's that's something that it would be a huge distraction on what I'm actually being called there to do. Uh, but in practice, like, you have to make the thing work, and nobody else is around because it's like a three- or four-person team. And so I, I don't want to be the guy who is like, hey, excuse me, how does this work all the time? Mm-hmm. Right. So, hurts um i think it hurts cross-pollination especially when you're a contractor and you're coming in and this is your first and only angular app that you're working on eg right okay well great Uh now i've parted ways with this client after a nice fruitful wonderful engagement what am i going to do with that information
0: (laughs) (laughs) so do you wind up specializing the way that javascript developers do or do you just go use the next framework that comes along
1: I end up using the next framework that comes along because I learn exactly enough to get by with this one framework and then I get a new client and they're on something else. I mean, I mm-hmm. would love to be proven wrong and have only Angular people come in, but that's never the case. What right. ends up, The most common thing that ends up happening is um, when I'm on like EG Shopify or something like that and I'm working for uh-huh. online stores, they're all usually on the same like one or two things, um, like checkout platforms, whatever. And so they end up using materially similar JavaScript stacks. So like if I learn jQuery, I'm pretty good with a lot of them. Um, But that's not necessarily always the case. It's usually just a lot of information in my head that I wish didn't exist there because I, you know, parted ways with this client a year and a half ago or something.
0: Right. So uh, maybe you can answer the question that the JavaScript developers fight about all the time. Which framework's the best?
1: Uh, the one that is fastest for me to learn and actually start wrapping, <laughs> that's really what it is. I mean, that's yeah. that's such a selfishly minded response, right? Like, and I'm not the developer, so you can take that with a pile of salt. Like, that's not actually helpful. Yeah. Out. Um, I <sighs> ones that don't interfere too heavy handedly with the AB testing framework I'm using. Um, React is a particularly bad offender on that front where I always have to move to the synchronous snippet. So if you're trying to uh-huh. do an optimization effort, like it's it's a world of hurt. And I've learned how to account for that. But again, that's a selfish thing because I'm coming at it from an optimization angle and not from a how easy is it to write this? How sensible is it for the customer? Am I delivering a two megabyte payload or not? Um, uh-huh. Those are all major considerations that you as a developer have to be thinking of, and I don't care. Right. I don't have to care.
0: <laughs> so, yep. Yeah. So what are you working on or learning now?
1: Um, I'm working on a new book, um, and it's uh, mostly for designers, but also for people who hire designers about how to uh, promote the value of your work, um, because uh-huh. that's always been this kind of squishy, qualitative thing for designers and Right. I'm really good at saying that my work made somebody X hundreds of thousands of dollars this month, etc. Um, and so, how to do that? What are all the tools and tactics, and why is it important for designers who came out of art school to be thinking about that? Beyond uh-huh. um, yeah, that, I'm, uh, you know, it's we're recording this in December, so it's a lot of holiday work for uh, my clients and. Uh, I've been doing a lot of like Black Friday stuff and a lot of holiday promotion tests and that sort of thing. And then I'm going to drop off the face of the earth for a month and a half to go to Japan. And then I come back and I don't know what I'm going to be working on. Probably design stuff. There are a few one-off design projects in the pipeline. But uh, we'll see right. what happens. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Well, it's it's interesting just to dig in and get to know you a little bit, you know, in kind of this setting where it's Hey, look, you know this is somebody that isn't all the way into the programming community, but the the people that we work with that aren't part of the programming community are essential to what we do. Yeah. And so just just hearing, oh, this is how Nick thinks about JavaScript, and this is how Nick thinks about programming, and this is how he uses it, and this is how he interfaces with other people, and and who the stakeholders are for you, and all of this stuff. Um, you know, we identify with some of it and some of it, not so much. And it also depends on, you know, at what level, I mean, I've had jobs where I didn't care what the CEO thought, you know, beyond, do I get a paycheck next week? And then I've had other jobs where I was meeting with the CEO on a regular basis, finding out what he wanted and then solving the problem. And so, you know, it just, yeah, it, it depends and it changes from, from role to role. Yeah. So, Yeah.
1: I wonder if there's a way to like select JavaScript frameworks for their ability to cross pollinate with other team members and allow them to overlap in skill set. Because I feel like that this is a very high level. I'm uh-huh. developing the framework type consideration, but it's something that I think about a lot because some of them are just hostile <laughs> to me, at least. They feel that yep. way. And there's gotta be there's a difference. And if there's a difference, then there's some way to suss out what that difference is and think uh-huh. about it in terms of its ability to um to make it more legible to others. I don't know. Yep. that's something I think about a lot as a designer because I I have to come in and learn all of this stuff all the time. Yep. Perils of expertise right there.
0: Yeah. Well, and there's so many things that go into that consideration as far as being able to collaborate with other people, you know, be it the designers or be it uh other programmers or you know back end programmers or front end programmers or wherever you're living at and it just yeah it, it changes. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, very interesting. Um are there other things that you would like to say to programmers before we get into picks? Anything <laughs> that you wish that we just would know or you know that we don't think about that we ought to? The,
1: I always feel like it's this very like cats versus dogs scenario where there's like, just just pull us up to the table and ask us questions. We don't bite. I know it gets in the way. that's it. We just want it. Yeah. We're all we're all in, aligned towards the same goal, which is to make something awesome. Which is the hope, right? So yep.
0: yeah. And I have to say, I've worked with uh, designers that were very much, as you described, right? It's like, hey, look, let's work together. Let's make sure we understand what we're trying to achieve here. And I've worked with designers where, um, you know, they hand off their part of the project and they don't want to talk to me again until I show them that I've implemented it, in which case they tell me what I did wrong. Right. And so it, it it really does come down to the kind of person you're working with and what the ultimate goal is. Yeah, but, that's,
1: that's the thing I would say to other designers is don't be the ladder type, you know? Like, this the yeah. row over the wall thing. Not fun. Yeah,
0: but it's, you know, it, it is the industry we work in. And, yeah. Yep, yep. All right, Picks. This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM, for five dollars a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at lino.com slash javascriptjabber
1: um so visual website optimizer is probably the biggest one that's the uh ab testing tool that i use on a daily basis if you're wondering Uh why i'm blathering on about javascript this whole time go and take a look they sideload a version of jquery it's like 1.4 uh and i have to turn that off every time it's tremendously exciting (laughs) Um, so if you want if you're a javascript developer and you want to be horrified for a minute about this thing that like every small business uses to optimize their business Boom, uh-huh. right there. You can do it.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, half the JavaScript developers I know would be horrified by how old JavaScript, one, or jQuery 1.4 is, and the other half would just be horrified that you brought jQuery into your project. So,
1: Well, sure, fine. Um, jQuery's got to be in there if you're running VWO, so I'll, yeah. I'll just horrify everyone. There you go.
0: <laughs> cool. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, I have a project going right now, and I, I loaded jQuery in. It was easier than trying to I felt like the framework, uh, so the modern frameworks were overkill for what I was doing. So nice, nice. It's just an easy way to manage the DOM. So yeah,
1: fair enough. Yeah, it's it's easy for me to learn because it uses CSS selectors. So. Yep. Um, other picks. Uh, I read a book about accessibility recently by Laura Kalbag that was fantastic. It's in the Book Apart series. I think it's just called Designing for Accessibility. Mm-hmm. Anybody in the tech industry can read it. It's um one of those things where it accounts for every form of accessibility that a web page would need to have. And if you're thinking about it from a JavaScript standpoint, a lot of it doesn't account for, like, screen readers or, um, uh, like, uh, what's it, like, larger text, that sort of thing. So that's a very interesting take on it and definitely worth taking a look at.
0: Um, Nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. I might think of a third pick. That's two picks. I did the minimum.
0: Yeah. Yeah, two is good. Um, I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. Now, uh, my picks aren't going to be super technical. Of course, they usually aren't. So, you know, whatever. Um, The first one is I've been using a system. uh, I think I'm going to move off of Slack in favor of it, mainly because I'm managing tasks and things more than I'm, uh, you know, trying to communicate about code. Uh, just running the podcast and stuff. The system's called Convo. It's convo.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of, it's more threaded conversations. So, you know, you you essentially post and then people can comment and then you just have an ongoing thread. But uh, um, it, it kind of functions as a chat, sort of. But I'm really liking it. And so, uh, yeah, I'm going to pick that. And then um, one other pick that I have, I'm actually using these headphones for this call. Uh, they're Bluetooth, uh, in the ear headphones and, uh, they are the, oh, what are these things? I've got the thing sitting right in front of me. It's called the dash pro by Bragi B R A G I. Um, they sent me a review unit. Uh, a lot of things I like about it. A few things I don't, I'm probably going to write up a blog post and tell people why they should or shouldn't get it. Um, but overall I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. And, uh, so yeah, so I'm going to uh, pick that. And, um, yeah, that's pretty much all I've got. Uh, Nick, if people want to get in touch with you or they decide, you know what, we need somebody who can help us optimize our website, uh, where'd they go?
1: They can go to draft.nu. That is my business's site. That has all the information you'd need. Um, If you want to sign up for my mailing list, I write a letter every week to people about uh, value based design and all sorts of other interesting optimization tactics and techniques, and sometimes about food. Um, And you can go to draftsletters.com for that one.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this show up. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Nick, for coming. And we will catch you all. Yep, we'll catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit cachefly.com to learn more.